It is. And I also think that part of what can happen, particularly when you're younger, is feeling that age is the only resource in terms of credibility that matters. And so therefore, you're not entitled to charge a certain amount of money until you've been in it for X amount of time or you've hit a certain age. And that's just also fundamentally not true. Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Over the past decade, she has empowered thousands of people to break money silence at home and at work. Now, here is Kathleen. This episode is sponsored by PlanWell, BeWell. PlanWell, BeWell is a place that connects your financial well-being to your personal well-being. It's a place to inspire and learn, to define your aspirations, to begin articulating what well-being looks like for you, and a place to provide the financial tools needed to achieve your financial goals and live your intended life. Because when you plan well, you can be well, now and in the future. To learn more, visit planwellbewell.com. I am here today with Erin Lowry. She is the author of Broke Millennial, Broke Millennial Takes on Investing, and Broke Millennial Talks Money, Scripts, Stories, and Advice to Navigate Awkward Financial Conversations. Her first book was named by MarketWatch as one of the best money books of 2017 and by Business Insider as the best personal finance book in 2020. I love what she's up to, especially because she's breaking money silence all over the place. So I wanted to have her come in and share her expertise with my listeners. Welcome, Erin, to the Breaking Money Silence podcast. Thanks for having me. Excited to chat money. I am too. So you have written several books about money, and so you must have a passion for writing about finance. Tell me a little bit more about why you enjoy this topic and why you've committed uh, your career to it. I think it's really because I like talking about things that other people might find uncomfortable. To me, there's just something special and magical about kicking around why people feel that this is a taboo topic and that so many people are just utterly ill-informed or under-informed simply because no one did talk to them about money and they are perfectly capable of being able to handle money for themselves. They just needed a way for it to be digestible and relatable and when I first started, there weren't a whole lot of books that targeted millennials specifically and our unique set of needs. So that is really the niche I was looking to fill. Well, you filled it and filled it then some, definitely. So in terms of liking to talk about taboo topics, I can't just skip over that, given the fact that I like talking about taboo topics too. What is it, Aaron, about shaking it up when it comes to finance that you're enjoying? 
I don't think it's just finance that I enjoy shaking it up, which is probably (laughs) why it happens. I was a journalism and theater double major in college. So I think it's that combination of digging in and storytelling that I find really fascinating. But within finance specifically, what I find so fascinating is why are we uncomfortable talking about this? Why is this treated as something that we shouldn't be sharing, shouldn't be talking about? Like what happened that made society decide that's the way it is. And then that those scripts keep getting passed on and on. But truly, it's the overlap of the psychology element and the emotional element with the practical and rational. Now, I think we often think about monies and numbers as that's just facts, that's just practical, this is rational. But we all know that is not how personal finance is handled. It is all emotion-based. So figuring out how to marry those two is just abundantly fascinating to me. Yeah. And when you mention millennials, what's interesting, I talk a lot about people passing down, you know, beliefs or inheriting beliefs from their parents. Why do you think that millennials or even Gen Zs are the generation to break this money silence or break this taboo finally? It could be because millennials and Gen Z alike are a bit more open to talking about other topics that were previously seen as taboo. And the help of things like social media and a way to amplify multitude of voices in a very different way that we hadn't seen before really gives rise to other people being able to connect with folks who look like them, have experiences like theirs. And it's not just the same type of person now who can give money advice. That's true. And I love that uh, you're out there giving money advice to so many people. And for anybody listening in, you don't have to be a millennial to benefit from this conversation. Uh, Your last book, or should I say your most recent book, because I'm sure there's more in you, is talking about awkward conversations. And one of the things that I find, no matter what generation you're from, is an awkward conversation is negotiating, whether you are negotiating on behalf of yourself as a business owner or negotiating a salary or a raise. Why do you think that is such an uncomfortable conversation for folks? Part of it is because you're having to ask for something from someone, and that can just innately make us feel uncomfortable. There also can then be a power dynamic at play, but also because so often we're kind of going into these conversations a bit blind in terms of information. It is hard to know what to ask for if you don't have an understanding of what coworkers get paid, what people who do similar jobs get paid at other companies, and you know, overall what the market will bear. And we can't really suss that information out without asking and having that conversation with other people. Well, and what's also interesting, and I know some of these policies are no longer in vogue, but certainly when I was up and coming in 80s and 90s, uh, in the more in the corporate space, it was against company policy to actually ask your colleague what their salary was. So it, it not only was the money talk taboo, there was also like, you know, you'd be breaking, quote unquote, the law. And at the time, I was a pretty compliant person. Do you think those policies are useful? Or do you think they get in the way of people taking care of themselves? Well, they're useful to the employer. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) So they're useful to someone. That's why they exist. They just are not useful to the people that need to be negotiating for more money. And to point out that those policies do still exist, whether deliberately spoken or 
loudly unspoken in certain industries and in certain companies, your state or your city might have a law that says that your employer is not allowed to do that. However, I think it's always really important to keep in mind that they can find another reason to fire you. So if you feel genuinely unsafe about asking your coworkers how much they make, there are actually a multitude of other ways that you can be getting that information. Just what you want to be controlling for is somebody who does a similar job at a similar type company in a similar type city. And that's when we go to options like LinkedIn or networking events and asking people directly, especially just cold pitching emails by asking people simply, how much do you make? Now, there's a, a nuanced way to do that. It's not just a subject line. Hey, got a question. So, <laughs> body of the email, how much do you make? You do want to tee it up a little more nicely than that and give them context. Hey, I'm planning to negotiate for a raise. I feel like you have some information that might be helpful to me. Do you mind telling me? And you can hedge it ballpark. How much is your salary? You could say, do you make over or under you know, $80,000, whatever it is, just to get a sense. And particularly if you think that you're underpaid, or this is usually very important for women as well as people of color, just to make sure that you're controlling for all factors. You want to diversify the pool of folks that you're asking so that you're getting a, a broad sense of what the situation might be. Which is great advice. And you bring up the idea of gender differences and certainly differences in terms of pay according to, unfortunately, the, the color of people's skin. What advice would you have in particular for men out there who are listening and or people of color? Would it be different well, than women, I guess, is my question. I would say more if you are in a position of power in your organization, particularly if you have seen flags of systemic oppression, whether that is the hierarchy at your company all looks the same, the people who are the decision makers all look the same, you need to be advocating for other people, both for promotions and for raises. Simple ways that you can be doing that too, being in the room is if somebody voices an idea, whether it's a woman or a person of color, and Sometimes that idea then needs to get reinforced by a man in the room. It is a sad state of affairs that I have to say that, but it's true. If uh, you know your female colleague next to you makes a suggestion, then you can reiterate and say, you know, like Sarah just said, yada yada yada, to just reinforce it. There's a lot of studies that show that oftentimes when women and people of color make ideas known, it usually the credit gets given then to a male who brings it up later and might also take credit for it. So there's various ways that you can uplift people in your office and also just taking a look around at who are the hiring managers, who are the people in the room when decisions are being made, when raises are being given. That group of people needs to be a diverse group of people as well because we tend to hire folks that look like us. We tend to promote people that look like us. So you want to make sure that that pool of people that are making those decisions aren't a monolith. And you really have to take uh, and make a conscious effort to do that. I find that a lot of this is unconscious, not to excuse it, but that uh, there's, a, there's ways in which we slip into this without even realizing. So that's great advice. I, I guess switch gears a little bit. I'm curious how you learn to negotiate. Practice, I would say, is the number one thing. I, like so many people, did not negotiate for my first job out of college. Arguably, I didn't negotiate for my second job out of college. I graduated in 2011, a few years post-Great Recession, but if you didn't hear it early, 
journalism and theater double major. So we're talking <laughs> industries where if you could get a job, you took the job. And, you know, the prevailing advice was like, don't negotiate, don't make waves, just take whatever job they'll give you and be thankful and grateful. And that is also fundamentally toxic and bad advice for folks early in their career. Because again, studies show that people who negotiate for that very first job, they can end up making six figures more than their counterparts because also money that they can be investing earlier. There's just all sorts of stats behind why it's important to negotiate on that first job. So I made the mistakes, like many listening probably did too. But in the future... A lot of it was I would role play with uh, usually either I would ask my dad for help or a mentor in the office that I felt safe and comfortable with that I could practice going in and actually making the ask, which was huge. I think you need to have the experience of saying out loud, not just in your head, what you want. And then more importantly, embracing the silence. And taking the seconds after you've made the ask to not immediately backtrack. That is huge. And some of the advice in Broke Millennial Talks Money that I really love from a negotiation expert is she said to practice that silence ahead of time. So making asks of people in your life, whether it is you notice that a piece of chocolate cake you were saving for later is missing. And so you say to your roommates, hi, guys, who ate the chocolate cake? And then... Let the silence hang. <laughs> or going flashback to the dorm room. Yes. Yeah. Or going into a cafe near closing time and saying, you know, I I know that you tend to throw out the pastries at the end of the day, so I was wondering if I could get fifty percent off of one of those donuts. And then let the silence hang. They can say no, but it's just a low barrier way for you to practice doing something like negotiating, like making an awkward ask. I love that because the silence is often the thing that trips people up because if you're anxious and it's silent, we tend to fill the space. And filling the space is never a good idea when you're going through a negotiation. So that's really an expert, uh, excellent piece of advice and really, really helpful, Erin. So we're going to take a quick break and then we will be back with Erin Lowry. She's the author of many different books and she's from Broke Millennial. You know that negotiating your fees and getting paid what you're worth is emotional business. And I know how to help you become a rock star negotiator. So I am offering an exclusive group experience, a masterclass on negotiating for a hand-selected group of businesswomen. So if you're highly motivated, career-driven, and ready to take a deep dive into your money story and learn how to shift sabotaging beliefs so you can earn more, then this masterclass is for you. I'm taking applications now, and space is limited to eight kick-ass women. You're going to get individual and group coaching, both facilitated by me, as well as video lessons, handouts, and a bunch of bonuses to help you become the rock star negotiator I know you are. So check it out at breakingmoneysilence.com backslash negotiating hyphen masterclass and register today. 
We are back with Erin Lowry from Broke Millennial. She's here today talking about an awkward conversation that we're all familiar with, negotiating. So we were just talking about some tips and tools on how to successfully negotiate. And one of the things you said is to be able to sit with that silence. Do you have any other advice for millennials out there when they're negotiating as to how beyond practicing what else they can do to kind of prepare for this type of conversation or maybe even debrief after it? Well, one of the big things that needs to happen that, frankly, I was unaware until I wrote the book because I am now self-employed. And so I have to negotiate all the time. I do think self-employed yes, people do. are often left out of this conversation. It is super critical for us to know how to negotiate. But for people who are traditionally employed, an excellent point that also gets raised in the book is knowing when raise season is coming. Because so often, particularly if you're earlier in your career, you might wait until you're in the room with your manager and they're talking to you about your raise to try to counter and get a higher one or to try to get a promotion. But depending on how your company is structured, decisions might have already been made. Money is set and allocated. So it's now too late to be asking for more. So instead, you need to have a sense of when those decisions get made and about three months prior, that's when you want to set a meeting with your manager and go in and advocate for yourself and ask for that raise or ask for that promotion. And that is some really critical advice that I don't think a lot of people necessarily are made aware of, particularly early on in their career. I don't think so either. I mean, I think until you get to a place where you're in control of a budget and you're a manager and you realize that you may not have it to give, even if you want to give it. Uh, yeah, I think that that's a really important piece of advice for those in the corporate world. Now, you mentioned those who are self-employed, and I've been uh, an entrepreneur for over 20 years now and give myself raises and negotiate all the time. And, and you know what that's like uh, as someone in a similar position. So, Aaron, what advice would you have for people out there in business when they're negotiating their fee? One of the huge things, just like it's important for traditionally employed people to get a sense of what coworkers make, especially if you think you might be getting underpaid, it is so critical for us to talk about fees and rates with other self-employed people because you are completely unaware of what the market will bear unless you start asking questions of others. Now, I am very fortunate to be a personal finance writer, which means that other people in my space also write about money. And so we are a bit more comfortable with talking about money with each other. But there are other elements of whether it's speaking engagements, brand partnerships, just other part of this world that I was completely undercharging for a very long time until I started to have conversations with friends about how much they charge and started to get a sense of, oh, wow, I could actually be asking for a whole lot more money. So it is really important to be blunt. I love the over-under strategy for, hi, I you know, give context about why you're asking. I got approached to write for so-and-so. I noticed that you have some bylines with them. I was wondering, do you, could you tell me if you charge over or under $1,000 an article or whatever it is that you're trying to get the answer to? Because that gives them an opportunity to not have to bluntly tell you what they make if they feel uncomfortable with it, but to give you some really critical piece of information. Now, some people might turn around and say, yeah, I'll tell you exactly what I made for that. And try to get as many qualifiers as you can as well. You know, oh, do you 
promote it on social media and you have a large following. So that could control for why that person might make a little bit more than I do. Or do you have some sort of specialized skill set that you're able to provide a client that's going to explain like why you can charge that rate and maybe I'm not quite there yet. So really also trying to get a better holistic picture of what people are offering to a client. Yeah, it's not apples to apples all the time, right? It's it's that whole package that you're offering. And so great advice. Now, what is one, if you're willing to to share this, what's one mistake you made early on in your business career? And what did you learn from it? How did you recover? Oh, the undercharging, I would say was huge, particularly because when I started, I was still fully employed. So it was a fun side hustle project and I wasn't treating it like a business and I wasn't taking it super seriously. Anything that I earned as quote unquote broke millennial was just sort of gravy money that I would put into savings or investments. And that really was a mistake. I should have been treating it like a full-fledged business that I wanted to be running from the start. And one of the very painful ways I found out that I was being underpaid is I went to a do a speaking engagement. I flew across the country for this engagement. It was a panel discussion. There was another woman on the panel who was same age as I am, coming from the same city that I was. We had been doing this work for the same amount of time. Like every control factor that you could think of had basically been controlled for. And she and I are buddies, so we had gone out to dinner the night before the panel. And after a glass of wine or two, I mustered up the courage to be like, I just, I, I'm curious, how much did you charge for this? I had charged $3,000. She had charged ten. Yeah. So Amazing, that was a it? very startling realization. And I had, I thought three sounded like so much money, but also because I had a day job. So this wasn't necessarily needing to cover all my bills. But then I started to realize like, oh no, I can earn a lot more money for this specialized skill set. So interesting. I had a very similar situation when I was early on in my speaking career and I thought similar numbers. I thought I had charged so much. And then I I made a comment to somebody, you know, at the cocktail party about, you know, being paid so well, something off the cuff. And they laughed. And then I realized, uh-oh. And so I started asking around and I shared a stage. I think I charged 5000 And I shared a stage with a gentleman who went right after me, same audience, 20000 And I was like, ooh, something's wrong here. So it does take breaking money silence to figure out where you need to be, especially if you're an entrepreneur. I think it's, it's a little bit more challenging, although you have a little bit more control over it. I guess that's the part I like. It's a little bit more creative than being stuck in a corporate atmosphere where you have less latitude. It is. And I also think that part of what can happen, particularly when you're younger, is feeling that age is the only resource in terms of credibility that matters. And so therefore, you're not entitled to charge a certain amount of money until you've been in it for X amount of time or you've hit a certain age. And that's just also fundamentally not true. There is a lot that can be said of other experience levels that you can have. And so to be someone, for example, I have three books with a Penguin Random House imprint. Like at some point, that needs to also be counted as a big credibility check as opposed to just, oh, I've been doing this for 20 some years, which I haven't yet. 
but saying that it's important to remember that age and time is not the only indicator of how much you deserve to get paid. The other thing I would say is for people to check in and ask their friends or the people that are in their support system, because I don't know about you, but having been in this space for a while, sometimes we just kind of take it, we take for granted what we know. Like it just seems simple. And then someone else is like, no, that's really valuable. Yes, Have you that found is that? such a good point. Absolutely. And that it's also the way that you can deliver information that can be really valuable and impactful. If you are someone who is able to hit at a niche group that is all of a sudden so resonant and very few people are able to kind of speak that second language, if you will, that's a huge value add. That's a huge resource that now you get to charge a premium for. Yeah. Boy, we could talk about this quote unquote awkward conversation forever, you and I, the taboo talkers. <laughs> Absolutely. Erin, we are going to have to wind down uh, on this particular podcast, but I would love for our listeners to find out more about how to get in contact with you, how to find your books, which I'm sure are pretty easy to find, and what's the best way to contact you. Well, you can find all three books wherever books are sold. And also, please do not forget to check out your local library. If it is not there, don't hesitate to request any of them, which you can do at your local library, and then get this information to other people for free. You can find me on Instagram at Broke Millennial Blog, on Twitter at Broke Millennial. You can find BrokeMillennial.com or AaronLowry.com as websites to find me, and you can email me directly from either of those. They go right to my inbox. Well, it has been lovely having this conversation with you and breaking money silence with you today, Erin. Thank you so much for your time and your expertise and, and continue doing the great work that you do. Well, thank you for having me. It was fun. This episode is sponsored by Plan Well, Be Well. Plan Well, Be Well is a place that connects your financial well-being to your personal well-being. It's a place to inspire and learn, to define your aspirations, to begin articulating what well-being looks like for you, and a place to provide the financial tools needed to achieve your financial goals and live your intended life. Because when you plan well, you can be well, now and in the future. To learn more, visit planwellbewell.com. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com.